Hi, I'm Washington, and today we're going to talk about some of the last words that Jesus Christ spoke to us just before he left this world. Um, this is specifically from Matthew 24 and 25, where he spoke about his return and at the end of the, at the end of the times, how the time, how the things will be during those times. Um, he also spoke about the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem. Um, I hope you'll learn something and you'll enjoy. So, um, straight away, let's begin. Um, first of all, it began with the disciples who went to Jesus Christ to show him how beautiful the temple was and how beautiful Jerusalem was. And Jesus Christ replied to them saying that surely um, after a while, not a single stone will be left upon the other in this Jerusalem. Um, he was essentially telling them that Jerusalem will be totally destroyed and the temple. And after Jesus Christ died at around 70 CE, um, the temple was destroyed exactly as Jesus predicted. Um, he was so accurate to the fact, to the effect that he even told them that Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. And that's exactly what happened in those times. The Romans surrounded Jerusalem and there were wars and Jerusalem and the temple were literally burnt to ashes. Um, I was reading an article from the internet and it is said that anyone who had seen Jerusalem prior to the destruction that happened, um, upon seeing Jerusalem after the destruction, they would not believe their eyes because the destruction was tremendously huge. So Father Jesus Christ talks about um, the disciples ask him for the sign of these times, the time when the temple will be destroyed and the signs for the time when he will return and the sign of the end of the ages. Um, Jesus Christ, as his custom was, whenever he was presented by a question, he always gave an answer. And he answered the disciples. And this actually is an answer to us about the time when he will return and the time of the end of the ages and what will happen in those times. So Jesus Christ, this is what he says. Um, I'll not read the verses word for word, but I'll give a summary based on what I've studied and what I've understood. So first of all, he says that in those times, there will be very many false Christs, many false prophets will arise, and they will show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Um, he says um, that the gospel, that is the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, will be preached to all the earth and after that has happened then the son of man will come then he also talks about the great tribulation um, i'm sure you've heard about this um, he presents the prophecy given by daniel he says that at the time when you see the abomination that causes desolation then at those times at that particular time let everyone flee he says those who are in judea should flee to the mountains those who are at the housetop should not return to their houses because there will be a very great persecution and tribulation coming upon the whole earth. Um, he says that those times people will deceive you, you know, saying that here is the Christ, the Christ is in the lower rooms, he's in the upper rooms, but he says do not believe any of them because as the lightning flashes from the east to the west and everyone sees its light, so will it be in the end of the times that everyone is going to see the Messiah, everyone is going to see Jesus Christ as he comes down. And as he comes back for us. 
and then he talks about his coming he says immediately after this tribulation of these times that's after the great tribulation i've just been talking about immediately after that everyone will see the son of man in the sky and the tribes of the earth all tribes of the earth will mourn that is upon seeing christ and he says after seeing the son of man um just before that i skipped something he says the powers of the heavens that is the sky the heavenly bodies will be shaken then after that the sign of the son of man will be seen and after the sign of the son of man has been seen then everyone will see the son of man descending from heaven in his power and glory and with the angels um then he says he will send forth that is he himself the son of man will send forth his angels to collect those who are his um he said uh, let me read it exactly he says and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from the end of heaven to the other um so just a brief uh, explanation of this part um jesus christ says that all the tribes of the earth will mourn this is because um you imagine for someone person x person x could be me who has not been living his life according to the words of christ who has not been believing in christ the son of god and one day i see the son of man descending from heaven and coming down to earth of course i will mourn i will live in and i will be in so much regret um so this is actually for all of us that whatever it is in your life if you've not really believed and surrendered your life to the gospel of god that is in believing that jesus christ is the son of god this is the time as long as there is a day that you are alive you have a chance to go back to god because he is willing and waiting for you with open and open arms to receive you then from this he talks about the parable of the fig tree um in this parable he talks about the summer and that's where i got the title of this video that summer is here um he says whenever you see the fig tree um when its branches has become tender and it has brought forth leaves you know that the summer is near and so when you see the signs so he says that um he uses analogies we've seen him using parables several times now he's saying that when you see all these signs just know that the coming of the son of man is near the same way when you see the fig tree becoming tender and it's bringing forth leaves you know that the summer is near so again he tells us to keep watching because he says um in verse 35 that heaven and earth will pass away but my words will by no means pass away um he goes forth to explain and to give another analogy and that's of the times of noah i mean the times of noah god had said that he would destroy the whole world with a flood and you can imagine that noah built a whole ark an ark big enough to carry two of every species of every animal and no one actually saw that he was building this ark okay they saw but they did not see the significance of him building the ark and they did not hear the word of god and in so doing to repent and jesus christ is using this very example he says that just as it was in the times of noah so will it be in the day of the coming of the son of man that people will be getting married giving in marriage and the son the day of the coming of the son of man will come upon them abruptly so again he emphasizes be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect so this is for all of us there is no point that we will ever say 
that we know when Jesus Christ will come back. Jesus Christ actually says that no one knows the day or the hour except God. So he is urging us and I am also taking this opportunity to urge all of us, me included, that we should always be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that we do not expect. Then faith, uh, then going forward, he brings another parable of the faithful and the evil servant. Um, again, he, he's emphasizing on the fact that we should always be ready and watchful. Um, he says the faithful servant is he who the master of the servant will come and find that servant doing just as he had commanded him. Um, look at it as a teacher. You know, you give your students an assignment and the faithful student is the one whom you will find doing the assignment at whatever time you come. He will be doing what you ask them to do. And he says the evil servant is the one whom after a while he will say, you know, my master is not coming and he is delaying. So let me begin being cheeky and doing a few things So before he comes. And we are being told by Jesus Christ that we should not be this evil and unfaithful servant. Um, Father, he goes, up, he goes ahead to tell us of the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Um, I think we all know about this. Um, this is where there were ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom and they all had lamps. But the wise, the, the wise virgins carried extra oil for their lamps and the foolish ones did not carry any extra oil and the bridegroom delayed and as he had delayed, they all fell asleep, they slumbered in their sleep. And at midnight, the bridegroom came and the wise virgins were taken and the foolish ones had to be left behind because they did not have enough oil for their lamps. And Jesus Christ is urging us again. He is telling us to take the, the example of the wise women, the wise virgins, and carry extra oils, extra oil for our lamps. Again, we know that Jesus Christ has often and very often used figurative language. So whatever oil, whatever he meant by saying that we should carry extra oil for our lamps could mean um, literally anything, you know, let's be always ready. Um, you know, when you carry extra oil for your lamp, you're ready and prepared for the fact that at any time the oil that's in your lamp can end. So you have to be constantly ready with a backup. Then he goes forth to give the parable of the talents where there were servants, three servants, one who was given five talents, the other was given two and the other was given one. The one with five talents took the talents and made five more. The one with two talents took the talents and made two more. But the one with one talent took the talent and hid it. And when the Lord, the, the servant returned, the one with five talents was given the one who had five and made five more was made ruler over plenty of things. The one who had two talents and made two more was also made ruler over plenty of things. But this one who had only one talent and hid it in the ground was cast away. And what he had was taken away from him and given to the one who had ten talents. Again, here Jesus is teaching us of accountability. You know, we will be accountable for every little thing that we were given for use in his glory every single thing if there is anything that god gave you and he entrusted you with it and you did not use it and you became like this servant who hid his talent in the ground and waited for the time when the master came and returned it to him 
Jesus Christ is telling us that we will have to give an account for that. Um, actually, a similar parable to this is one where it is said that there was a master who was settling accounts with his servant. Um, Father, and this is the last part. This is where Jesus Christ is talking about judgment. Now, um, at this point, he says that at that time, he will be like the let me get like the shepherd who will be separating his sheep his sheep from his goods um he will judge between the righteous and the unrighteous uh this reminds me in the book of sons 91 we are told that the righteous the wicked shall not stand in the congregation of the righteous i think it's it's either sons 91 or sums 1 so in this portion jesus christ says that he will judge the nations to the righteous he will say that you know I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was prisoned and you came to me. And the people would ask him, when did we see you naked? When did we do this to you? And Jesus, the reply of Christ will be, the least you did for the the, the least you did for the least the least of this. I hope that's grammatical. Yes, the least thing that you did. To the least of this, you brethren, you did for me. And you'll also say the same thing to the unrighteous, only that they saw him naked and they did not clothe him. They saw him hungry and they did not feed him. They saw him thirsty, they did not give him drink. They saw him homeless, but they did not take him in. And they will ask him the same question and he will say, the least that you did not do to the least of this, my brethren, you did not do for me. So again, this is a call to all of us to be careful in our actions um, because we know that Jesus Christ will judge us. Um, a story I, I had, um, there was a man who was guilty of murder and he went to court and the lawyer defended him and eventually he was acquitted by the judge and he went free but he was given a warning by the judge and his lawyer that he should not repeat the same thing and a few years later he committed the same crime he killed someone else but this time when he went to court the man who was his lawyer was no longer his lawyer now but he was the judge and you can imagine the kind of looks and the kind of shame he had when he was facing this judge who knew that the first time he had murdered but he went free so this is actually what is going to happen to us jesus christ came to us as our lawyer to make us right with god and when he comes back the second time he will come as a judge hi my name is washington um today we're going to do john chapter 11 a continuation of our series of the book of john so john chapter 11 talks about lazarus um the friend of jesus christ a brother to mary and martha um who died First of all, he got sick, then he died, and Jesus Christ raised him from the dead. And this event was very significant in the ministry of Jesus Christ, as you're going to see. So John 11, uh, at that particular point in time, Lazarus was in Bethany, and Jesus Christ was not at Bethany at that moment. Um, previously, the people from Judea, Judea is the country, and Bethany is a city within Judea, a town. The people from Judea wanted to kill him. So when wherever Jesus was, he received a message that Lazarus was ill and the disciples did not want to 
go back to Judea because initially they wanted to kill him. Um, something I've not mentioned, uh, when the message came that Lazarus was ill, uh, we told that Lazarus, Jesus Christ loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus. But even though he received the message that they were ill, he stayed where he was for two days more. Further, he says that the sickness of Lazarus is not unto death. That is, yes, he was sick, but that sickness was not to lead to death. Then, during the time that Jesus Christ stayed wherever he was, another message came that Lazarus had died. Actually, it was not a message. Jesus Christ told the disciples that Lazarus has died. Um, being God, he knew that Lazarus was dead. Otherwise, uh, and in spite of this, Jesus Christ told the disciples, um, I'll read what he said. Um, he said in verse 11, uh, Jesus said to the disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and wake him up. So even before he went to see Lazarus, he told the disciples that, I know Lazarus is dead and I am going to wake him up. And at that moment, they began going back to Judea. So uh, at this point, uh, personally, I learn a lot that even though Jesus Christ was not at the scene where Lazarus was ill, he was not there when he received the message, he was not there when he died, he knew absolutely everything that had happened to Lazarus and he was going there to bring him back to life. So in everything I face, every challenge that we face, let's always be conscious and aware of the fact that Jesus Christ knows all we are going through. The book of Matthew, I think chapter 12, uh, we're told that Jesus Christ, God knows everything we need even before we ask of him. You know, he knows whatever you want even before you go to pray. So let's constantly know and acknowledge that God knows whatever we want and let's put our trust in him. Um, going forward, when Jesus Christ went to Judea, he arrived and on the day of arrival, it was found that Lazarus had been buried already four days ago. Imagine he had stayed in the tomb for four days. And at this point again, as we've seen from John chapter 1 to all the way to John chapter 10, Jesus Christ has been saying and giving his identity to the, the listeners. Um, we had him saying he is the way, uh, no, not yet. He says he is the truth. You know, he says I am, uh, actually I don't remember, but he said, I think he says I am the way, the truth and the life. He says I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10. Um, he says, I am the son of God. He gives a definition of who he actually is. And at this point in John chapter 11, he also tells Martha and Mary that I am the resurrection and the life. Immediately he met Mary and Martha. They were weeping and telling him, you know, Jesus Christ, if you were here, Lazarus would not have died. But Jesus Christ said that I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you will live. Um, then Jesus Christ says, uh, I think I've lost the, the exact point of the verses were, but Jesus says that whoever believes in me, though they die, I will raise them again. And he says, those who live and believe in me shall never face death. Uh, so those are two very crucial things. You know, Jesus Christ said in John 3, 16, that God, loved, God so loved the world that he gives only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Then in John 11, uh, he says that, those who believe in me, even though they die, they will live again. And those who live and believe in me shall never see death. So again, we have to go to Christ for life. There is no other place we can get life. And as I've been mentioning, I think from John chapter 5, we have to go to Christ for us to receive 
even life itself. We see this also in John chapter 1 that Jesus Christ was and is the source of life. When you come to this world, he is the life. We say that Jesus Christ was the true light, the true light that gives life to every man who comes to this world. So Jesus Christ is the life, and if we believe in him, we receive eternal life. Then uh, Jesus wept, you know, out of compassion. He loved Lazarus so much. And in the midst of it all, he went, stood outside the tomb, and asked for the stone, the stone to be rolled away. Even though every other person was saying that there was going to be a very bad stench coming from that place, he stood out there and told them to take away the stone. And he gave thanks to God. And I learned something uh, from the prayer that Jesus Christ made to God. I think you should also read that prayer. It's in John 11, verse 41 and 42. In that whole prayer, he only thanked God. He said, I thank you, God, for I know you always hear me. And I know you will always listen to me. And for this reason, I say this for the sake of the people who are listening to me so that they might believe that you are, that you have sent me. So actually he was thanking God for, he knew that God would, of course, God would listen to what he would say. And after saying this, after thanking God, he stood out and shouted and called on the name of Lazarus. And Lazarus came out from the grave, from the tomb. Now this is very crucial. Jesus Christ gave us a roadmap to how we should tackle any kind of challenge. We know that, and we told in First John chapter 5, that this is the confidence we have that God, we know God always listens to us. God listens to our prayers. We are told to have faith, and if we have faith, we can speak to a mountain and tell it to, be, to move from where it is to be, and to be plunged in the ocean. So this is actually a practical application of faith, that you know and we are confident that God will hear us. And whatever challenge is standing in front of us, let's face it and call out its name, you know, uh, I don't mean you call out your problem to come and and finish you, but you know, if 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 it's anything that's, let me just use uh, the situation as it is that, as Jesus Christ stood and called out to Lazarus who was in the grave, let's also do the same. You know, let's learn how to apply this in our lives, in whichever situation and in whichever, um, whichever yes, whichever applications we may find. You know, let's stand up to it. And have faith, that sure conviction that God will always listen to us. Then after this, uh, Jesus Christ told the people to untie him. And you know, this miracle was so spectacular. Many people saw it. And many people believed in Jesus Christ. To the extent that the Jews, the Pharisees really wanted to kill Jesus Christ. Because they thought that he was, he was going to get to gain too much popularity. And as they were discussing, one man just spoke and said that isn't it expedient for one man to die for the whole of Israel, you know, and it written that he was not speaking of his own accord, but he was actually prophesying that Jesus Christ would die for the many people. Again, I think I once mentioned this, that nothing just happens, nothing is a coincidence, and whatever we say, whatever we do, let's know that God is always in control. Um, I remember reading from the book of Proverbs where God says that the heart of the king is in his hands and he directs it wherever he wants to. So this Pharisee who had no idea about Jesus Christ, about what would happen, he actually made a prophecy about Jesus Christ dying for the whole world. So thank you so much. Um, I think I've taken more time than I expected, but uh, I hope you learned something. So may God bless you abundantly. Thank you.
Hi guys, my name is Washington and today we're going to do John chapter 12, a continuation of our series of the book of John. So John 12 talks about, uh, I think, two significant events in the ministry of Christ. Um, number one is his anointing at Bethany. Now Jesus had gone to Bethany. Uh, he had gone for a feast. Uh, that was six days before Passover. And while he was at Bethany, Mary was the sister of Martha, um, anointed Jesus' feet with fragrance, an expensive perfume. And Jesus mentioned that this she has kept for the day of her burial. Um, Father, uh, there was a plot to kill Lazarus because because of Lazarus, many people were believing in Christ. So the Jews wanted, the Pharisees wanted to kill Lazarus so that people would stop believing in Jesus Christ. Um, after that, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Um, this is for the triumphal entry, where as he was getting to Jerusalem, this was, I think, the last time he was getting to Jerusalem because it is in this entrance into Jerusalem that after a while he gets crucified. So as he entered Jerusalem, the people who believed in him gave him a very beautiful entry where they took their clothes, some took palm trees and put them on the ground and they found a young donkey for him and he entered Jerusalem on a young donkey and they were singing praises to Jesus Christ. They were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, again, this was a fulfillment of prophecy because Isaiah prophesied that, uh, I hope it's Isaiah, yes, Isaiah prophesied that he would enter Jerusalem riding on a young colt and it's and the words that were said by these people who are praising him Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord are actually found in Psalms they are prophesied by David um, also the disciples did not know what they were doing until when Jesus Christ was crucified and he was raised and was glorified that's when they remembered that they did these things to him things that were prophesied long time ago um, Father, uh, when he went to, now he's in Jerusalem, and some of the Greeks came to look for Jesus Christ. And I don't know why Jesus Christ uh, acted this way, but I think the Greeks wanted to come and they wanted to identify Jesus Christ so that they would crucify him. So this is what happened. Now the Greeks came up to, to this feast. Uh, they had come to worship and they requested Philip that they wanted to see Jesus. Then Philip went to Jesus Christ to tell him that there are some Greeks who wanted to see him. Then Jesus Christ said a couple of very interesting things. Um, he started. He said in verse 23 that his hour has now come, that he should be glorified. Then verse 24, which I will read, uh, it's very important. He says, most assuredly I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. So Jesus Christ was signifying the importance of his death, that he had to die, uh, because otherwise, had he not died, he would not have achieved the purpose for which he, he came. Um, he explains that, uh, he tells us now, he, now that he is speaking about himself, now he speaks to us about we who follow him. He says that if anyone loves his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life for his sake, that is for the sake of Christ, will receive, will save his life. 
then he says something in verse uh, 28 no actually in 28 verse 26 he says if anyone serve, serves me i will read it because it's very it's straight to the point he says if anyone serves me let him follow me and where I, where i am there my servant will also be and if anyone serves me him my father will honor so again this is profound uh, it teaches us that we need to serve christ we need to follow christ we need to follow christ's example he gave his life for our sake again i'm not asking us to commit suicide but you know giving up your life for his sake is pretty much straightforward you know forgetting all about myself forgetting the things i need and focusing on what christ has called me to do um father in verse 27 uh, actually i'll read verse 27 to 28 i was to read 32 but it's uh, i think it will be too long uh, so this is now when jesus christ is expressing what he feels about his death on the cross now i'll read um, it says verse 24 this is just speaking he says now my soul is troubled and what shall i say uh, father save me from this hour he's asking if that's what he should say and he says but for this purpose i came to the world um then he says father glorify your name and upon saying this a voice is heard from heaven saying i have both glorified it and i will glorify it again then some people heard the voice others not hear the voice some said it had thundered but jesus said the voice came not because of him but for the sake of those who are hearing that voice So again I learned something about uh, you know putting our trust in God that sometimes things happen in our lives sometimes we go through things and we wonder why this are happen- why things are happening that way sometimes we go through a lot of anxiety you know a lot of fear a lot of worry in our lives but you know in all things just as Christ taught us that in everything we go through let's remember to glorify the name of God because you know God has a purpose for our lives and as we learn in the book of Romans um that everything works for the good of those who love the Lord so again in everything let's know that this prayer is very powerful uh, the prayer that Jesus Christ made and that prayer was father glorify your name and this was in the midst of him being troubled in his heart um then he talks about he makes some very bold and very true claims about himself Um, again these are very helpful we've seen him do this uh, since from chapter 1 um he says he's the light of the world again he said this several times he he predicts the manner of which he will die he says and if i am lifted up from the earth i will draw all people to myself again this is signifying that he will die on the cross that he will be lifted up he will be nailed on the cross and will be lifted up and he says in doing this he will draw all people to himself and by drawing people to himself he sends them to the father you know he says when you come to me you have come to the father because the father and he are one um <clears throat> then father again i think i said that he would be the like he said he was the light of the world and he said that as long as i am in the world i am the light of the world and you should walk in the light because when darkness comes there is no one who is going to be able to walk um he says also that if you walk in the light and you believe in the light you will become the sun the sons of the light so again uh, this is a call to us to believe in god to believe in christ and in believing in him we become sons of light sons of god then uh yes i think i went to 
chapter 11 sorry yes then in verse in chapter 12 uh, he goes ahead to say uh, talk about judgment um, he says he has not come to judge this world uh, I'll read the verse as it is he says I have come as a light to this world and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness then verse 47 and 48 which is my focus uh, he says and if anyone hears my words and does not believe I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world but I came to save the world and he who rejects me uh, does not and does not receive my words he has that which judges him the words that I have spoken will judge him in the last day so again uh, this I, I usually am uh, I am very strongly against the idea of judging people and this is these are some of the scriptures that teach me about judging people against judging people Jesus Christ himself said he has not come to judge this world but he came to save the world and that he does not judge anyone on the contrary he says the words which he spoke are the ones that are going to be to to judge you you know so even for us you know we are under the voice of Christ we are under his we are, we are like under the umbrella of Jesus Christ and he is the one who has all authority and all power to judge to teach you know to give the laws and we should always look to him at all times let's never feel that we are better than anyone else you know at by pointing fingers and judging people we are actually saying and feeling like we're better than them and we are never better than anyone we are all the same we are all sinners and the righteousness we have we have been given as a gift it is simply given to us by god so um finally uh he says that <clears throat> the father sent him and he gave him a command and that command was that he should give eternal life to everyone who believes in him he says he speaks what he has been told by the father to speak so john 12 was a long chapter 50 verses and i've taken a bit more time but i thank god for this period of time and what we've shared so thank you so much and may god bless you hi guys um so one day i was going to a certain government controlled facility and I walked to this security officer who was letting people in and I explained myself. I said I'm a student, I gave my name and I stated my purpose, the reason why I was going to that place. And this man looked straight into my eyes and asked me where my pass was because unfortunately I didn't have a pass to get into that place. And I repeated myself, I explained myself once again thinking that he would let me in because I explained myself so well and I was looking decent and I had documents to support myself. You know, I had my identification card and my student details. And even after explaining to him the second time, he looked straight at me again and said, he doesn't know who I am and I need to get a pass for me to get into that facility. And he directed me to a different office, which was, I think, about a mile away, where I would go and get my pass. Again, it was not a certain thing that I would get a pass. I would have to go and make a queue. There were several people in that office. And it wasn't, as I said, it wasn't assured that I would get that pass eventually. And this just got me thinking and reminded me that this is how it would be at the end of the times. You know, when Jesus Christ comes, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through him. And it's amazing that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 25, 
that at the time when people will be standing and expecting to see God at that time at the end of the days the one question that Jesus Christ would ask the people is who are you because you know most of us um we live our lives you know doing all kinds of things you know getting busy with things but we don't get acquainted with Jesus Christ we don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ and at that time he's going to ask us who are you so you know um this this is just a call to all of us you know the times are going so fast and the end is almost here Jesus Christ is coming very soon and it's high time that we get acquainted to Christ we develop that perfect relationship with him we know who he is because he is there for us he says to us that to everyone who is thirsty to everyone who needs drink let us go to him because he will give to us freely he says that if we love him if we obey his word he will manifest himself to us and there is nothing as beautiful as knowing Christ while we are in this world while we are still in this life having Christ to manifest himself to us and at that time when he will come we will not be ashamed we will not be surprised but we will be in joy because indeed we will now be seeing him as he is we will now be taking we will be taken up to glory so that we might dwell with him so again i'm putting an emphasis that we need we need more than ever right now to get acquainted to christ let's draw nearer to him so thank you so much and may god bless you Hi guys, um, my name is Washington. Um, today we're going to talk about the Passover. So before we begin, let's have a short word of prayer. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this fire you have brought us. And we pray that you will be with us and that you will teach us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So very many years ago, during the Exodus, when God was taking the Israelites out of Egypt, God instituted the Passover festival and the Passover festival was supposed to be conducted on the 10th month the 10th day of the month of Abib which was to be taken as the first month of every year for the Israelites and at that time they were to take and to choose a lamb or a goat or a young goat which is 1 year old and that had no defect no blemish and on the 14th day they were to kill it and roast it whole and eat it with bitter herbs um it is around this time that jesus christ was betrayed and handed over to the jewish authorities around immediately after taking the passover festival when you go to the book of matthew chapter 26 um jesus took the passover festival with his disciples and after eating this passover feast um he went to the mount of olives and that night he was betrayed by judas and he was arrested now briefly let me go through the story of how jesus christ was arrested first of all there was a plot to kill jesus then he was anointed at bethany um that was by a certain woman who came to him with a with an alabaster flask of oil then the next thing that happened this is all from Matthew 26 Judas agreed to betray Jesus he went to the authorities and asked what they are willing to give to him if he shows them who Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ took and celebrated first Passover with his disciples 
He told them that this was the last time he's going to eat of that Passover until when he's going to take it afresh with the disciples in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus Christ instituted, instituted the Lord's Supper um, where he told them that this is the blood, where he gave them a cup of wine, telling them that this that was a signification that signified the blood of Christ, which was poured and shed as a sign of the new covenant. And he gave them the bread and told them that, that was his body. And he told them to eat that as often as they would in remembrance of him and of the sacrifice that he paid. Um, Father, he went to the Garden of, Get- of Gethsemane where he prayed and asked God that if it was not his if it was his will that if it were possible that he would take away the cup of suffering from him but if it was not possible and if it was not possible let the will of God be done um I confused two verses first of all he says if it is father if it is possible let this cup pass away from me nevertheless not as I will but as you will then he says Later, when he goes back to pray, he says, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away, unless I drink it, let your will be done. Um, then, at this point, after praying, Judas comes to him with the authorities, and Jesus Christ is arrested, and he is taken to the Sanhedrin. Um, while he's arrested, the disciples forsake him. And this was in line with Jesus, what Jesus Christ predicted just a few hours ago. When he told them that they will all forsake him after he has been arrested, he even predicted the denial of Peter, which happened just a few verses later. Then Jesus Christ, before the Sanhedrin, many accusations were made against him, but he kept quiet. He did not answer to any of the accusations, except one when... The high priest asked him if he was the son of God and Jesus Christ said that it is as you have said. So Jesus Christ, um, despite all the accusations and every single thing they said against him, which were all lies, when he was asked if he was the son of God, he did not deny it. He confessed and said, yes, it is as you have said. And hereafter you will see him he says, I will read the quotes here. After you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And basically that is Matthew 26. After that, Peter denies Jesus three times and he weeps bitterly. Um, as I was saying, um, Jesus Christ did not deny the faith. He kept the faith. If he would have denied and kept quiet about the question that he was asked whether he was the Son of God, there would be no reason to believe in him. But amidst all, and in the midst of all those accusations, he did not deny the fact that he was the son of God. So next, I think I'll do Jesus before Pontius Pilate. But this alone teaches us a lot. And being the period of Easter, um, it is around this time that all this happened and it is beautiful and good for us to commemorate what Jesus Christ did. It is very beautiful and very noble of us to 
always remember that at this time Jesus Christ died for our sins. He shed his blood for us. He lived his life spotless without sin for us, for me and you, that we would receive eternal life and freedom. So thank you so much and may God bless you. Hi guys, my name is Washington and today I'll be discussing about the significance of the blood of Jesus Christ. So before we begin, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. How we pray that you will bless your word as we analyze, as we study. May you give us in-depth of understanding. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So during the Passover, uh, I think I talked briefly about the Passover in the previous video. During the Passover, the blood of the lamb that was chosen was to be poured on the doorpost. And whenever the angel of death would come, he would pass by the houses that had the blood on the doorpost. Mark you, the angel of death did not care about who was in the house. As long as he saw blood on the doorpost, he would bypass that house and no one would die from that house. On the contrary, in any house that there was no blood on the doorpost, every firstborn male would die, including in the king's house. So um, we know that the death of Jesus Christ um, coincidentally and actually not coincidentally, God planned it. The death of Jesus Christ happened exactly on the Passover. Um, that is several years after the Passover was instituted by God. And Jesus Christ acted as the lamb that was supposed to be killed. Now the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed for you and I, serves as the blood. You know, what God did was, um, let me say, it was like a footprint of what happened in the time of Christ. That the blood of Christ cleanses us of our sins. You know, we deserve to die. We know when Jesus was about to be crucified, Pilate wanted to release for them Barnabas and wanted, wanted to, to release from them Jesus Christ and he had the option of either releasing Barnabas or Jesus Christ. Yeah, so typically and what happened was that instead of Barnabas facing his death sentence, Jesus Christ took his place and Barnabas was released for free. And this is what the blood of Jesus Christ does for us, that we are supposed to die. We are all sentenced to death because we all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. But the blood of Jesus Christ washes us of all our sins. And whenever the angel of death comes, you know, whenever the sentence of death is supposed to be put to us, as long as there is the blood of Christ, that blood of Christ, you know, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that that blood of Jesus Christ speaks better things than the blood of Abel. That blood speaks for us. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ speaks for us. And we no longer have to face that sentence. Again, notice and realize that the same way Barnabas was set free, he did nothing to deserve to be set free. Actually, he was a criminal who had been bound here. He was guilty of several things. One of them was insurrection, inciting people. And he was literally told to just go scot-free. And in his place, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, died for him. Now, this is the kind of love that God had for us. That while we were sinners, while we were in prison awaiting for our death sentence, Jesus Christ took our place, he paid the price for us, and we became free. 
Today I was studying from the book of Galatians chapter 5 and Galatians 5.1 says that now we have received freedom. We have received freedom and Christ has given to us this freedom and we have done nothing to deserve it. And you know our lives are now under grace, not by our actions but all by faith. So this is the significance of the cross. You know, we are, in our, we are celebrating the Easter holidays, but we have to constantly remind ourselves that Jesus Christ paid the price for us. He became sin, him who knew no sin, so that we might be set free. And he did it all for us. You know, 2000 and something years back, at this time, Jesus Christ was dead. He had suffered on the cross and he was paying the price for us, undergoing that sentence for us. You know, this is, you know, take some time and just think about it and realize that this is so much love that Christ had for us and he still has this love for us. And we ought to, you know, we ought to act in response to this. I was reading from the book of Titus chapter 2 verse 14. I hope I've not misquoted it. But the in, in a nutshell, what this uh, section of scripture is saying is that you know, Christ died for us. He gave himself for our sakes so that he could raise for himself a peculiar people. You know, peculiar means a people reserved for his own purpose. A peculiar people who are zealous for his works. So the purpose of this, you know, it's not for us to just have freedom and abuse freedom and just be free and do anything we want. But the purpose of this is so that we can be a peculiar people for Christ. So that we can be a people reserved for him. So... Today, my encouragement is, you know, let's be set apart for his purpose. Let's be holy. Let's present ourselves a living sacrifice, as we're told in Romans chapter 12. Let's present ourselves to him, and he will receive us. Because he who loved us to take away our sins, he loves us even more, and he's going to willingly receive us to himself. So thank you so much, and may God bless you. Let me wind up with a prayer. My Father, my Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. How we pray that your word will abide in our hearts and it will resound in our ears forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Hi guys, my name is Washington. I'm glad to be back at the Bible study. I took a short break. This is because we had a youth week in church and it was really, it really encouraged me and I've learned a lot from it. So today we're going to do John 15. Uh, we're continuing with our series of the book of John. Um, we've discussed a lot from John 1 to 14 and I pray that we will continue studying. We are, I think, almost past half. We are, yeah, we are way past half of the book of John and I honestly have learned a lot. So let's begin with the word of prayer. We thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for all you've done. How we pray that you will be with us as we study your word. How we pray that you give us understanding. How we pray that your love will be shared abundantly and abroad in our hearts. Fill us with your joy and your peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So John 15, uh, it's a very interesting chapter, the book of John, uh, very crucial with very important information. So it begins uh, with uh, one analogy that Jesus Christ presents. I think it's very common that he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now he teaches us about the importance of bearing fruit and he teaches us how to bear fruit. He shows us that he being the vine and we being the branches, there is no way the branches can survive without the vine. He also tells us that if any of us who are branches, any of you who is a branch, 
and rooted in Christ. If you do not bear fruit, the Father will take you away. And if you bear fruit, the Father will prune you so that you can bear more fruit. So again, I learned so much from this. Um, he, this analogy is presented from the book of John 15 from verse 1 all the way to verse 8. Um, a few things I learned. Number one, that there is no way we can bear fruit besides Christ. He being the vine, he is the only source of our life. He is the only source of all the fruits that we bear. You know, a branch bears fruits depending on the vine to which it is connected. So, so, so now since we are branches connected to Christ, the only way we can bear fruits and the only kind of fruits and the only manner of fruits we can bear are those that are from Christ and those that are related to Christ. Number two, uh, there is the importance of actually bearing fruit, that we have to bear fruit. And if we do not bear fruit, we will be like a branch that withers. Jesus says that if anyone who is not, any branch that is not in me is a branch that has withered and it is taken away and cast into the fire. Um, Father, I, I learned that, you know, we have to be connected to Christ. I have been emphasizing on this from John 1 that we have to come to Christ. We have to go to him and we have to seek to be connected to him because he is our life. He is, he is our everything. Um, I recently asked my few cousins concerning how to bear fruit. And their young cousins, I think 10, 10 years, 11, 14 years. And I learned from them uh, that bearing fruit is about our character. You know, the fruits that we express in our lives um in the book of uh, galatians chapter 5 we learn about the fruits of the spirit which are love joy peace patience kindness faithfulness humility self-control these are fruits that we bear and all these all these fruits you can summarize as love you know we have to bear fruits consciously and at all times and the only way we can bear fruit is through jesus christ so let's bear fruit and let's not tire of bearing fruit it's it's a tough it's tough to actually bear fruit it's tough to love your neighbors you love yourself it's tough to love those who you do not know but jesus christ set an example for us and that takes us to the next portion of john 15 from verse 9 to 17 where jesus christ talks about love he says greater love can no, no greater love can than this no one can have he says he tells us to look at the example of the love which he gave for us that he gave and laid down his own life for us um, I, I studied, I, I read from the book of 1st John uh, where we are told that, you know, actually it's Jesus who was saying this, that it's very rare for anyone to die for, for a good man. But Jesus Christ died for us, not because we were good men, but because we were sinners. We did not even want to him to die for us, but he did die for us. He paid the price for us, we who did not even want the price to be paid for us. So we are supposed to express this love to every other person. Jesus Christ says he did not choose we did not choose him but he chose us. This is so much love, you know, it's it's unimaginable why God himself will descend in the form of man and die for my sins. He loved us so much and we ought to love every other person in this manner. That in the example we saw Jesus Christ loved us and laid down his life for us, we also ought to love every other person. Um, Jesus Christ also tells us, uh, this is from verse 18 to 25, which is also very important. Actually, it's more important and really, really important that, you know, if we are of the world, the world would love us. And since we are not of the world, the world cannot love us because the world only loves that which is its own. Now, this 
this actually challenges me that you know at any time if you see everyone in the world liking you if you find yourself gaining popularity in the world just realize that the world can only love that which is its own and we do not belong to this world we are of a different kingdom we are children of god we belong to god and the world cannot love us because of this jesus christ also says that you know uh, there's no servant who is greater than his master and jesus christ is we can say he's our master you know he is god he is above us and the world did not love him the world rejected him and since a servant is not greater than his master it's not possible that the world can hate our master and love us you know it it actually it's actually contradicting so let's learn this let's appreciate this from whichever state and whichever moment we are even though you're at a moment where you're facing no persecution no rejection just realize that at all times and have this bear this in mind that the world cannot love you if you belong to god the world only loves its own and if you want the world to love you just know you're forsaking your kingdom um there's a verse that i slightly i remembered and it, it just vanished but i'll add it in the comment section um then in the last parts of this chapter jesus christ talks about the coming rejection he talks about the holy spirit um this is introducing us to john 16. Uh, he says when the helper comes the helper will testify of me and also you that is the disciples will testify of me because you have been with me from the beginning uh, remember the disciples had been with jesus christ from the time when he began his ministry all the way till the end of his ministry so we've completed john 15 and this introduces us to john 16 which i'll do uh, in in a few john 16 concerning the holy spirit is very important and i also hope you'll learn something and a lot from it so thank you so much and may god bless you let's wind up with a word of prayer our father we thank you for this day we thank you for your word how we pray that your word will abide in our hearts and that we will abide in your love just as you have taught us we thank you be with us and may your name be glorified in the name of jesus christ i pray amen oh i remembered something as i was praying uh, jesus christ emphasized on the fact that we need to abide in his word we need to abide in his love and in abiding in his word in his love uh, in quotes uh, we abide in his love by obeying his commandments and in abiding in his word you know we will bear much fruit and we will ask whatever we will and he will give it to us and by doing this by we abiding in his word the father is glorified so let's always seek to abide in the word of god the word of christ to abide in christ and to abide in his love thank you so much hi guys my name is washington um today i'd like to remind you of a story the story of noah in the bible described in the book of genesis chapter 7 and 8 um in the days of noah god commanded noah to build an ark and noah built his ark he built his ark for quite some time and people were actually seeing him build the ark but as bible tells us no one was no one seemed interested in what he was doing um jesus christ makes a reference to the days of noah he says noah built his ark and people were marrying and giving in marriage during those times but no one really cared until the day that the ark the rain fell on the earth and at that time it was too late for everyone because 
they had not found time to enter the ark. Remember Noah and his family were locked in the ark by God seven days before, even before the rains came down. And again, no one was interested in getting to the ark. People were just going about their businesses and they would literally see no sign of rain or no sign of the catastrophe of the catastrophe that was awaiting them. And just as I've said, Jesus Christ made a reference to this to show us the magnitude of catastrophe that awaits us if we are not careful. Use this to show us that we do not know and we will not know if we are not interested. We will never know when it is that the Son of Man will come back to us. We will never know when he will come back to take those who are his. And this is just a call to all of us that we need to be prepared at all times. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that he who looks at the wind will never plant. Um, I'm just trying to say that if you look at the visible things, you know, if we go by the trends of this world, you will never know how close that day is. But if you look into the word of God, if you get yourself acquainted to Christ, if you seek God, you're going to realize that that day when the Son of Man will come is closer than we might think. You know, that day is at the doors. It's literally so close. I don't know how best to explain it to you, to make you know what I feel concerning this. But you know, that day is very, very close and it's high time that we go back to God. It's high time we go back to God, go back to our Creator in repentance and ask Him and pray that prayer that Jesus Christ asked us to pray. You know, pray that we will be found worthy to stand before the Son of Man and pray that we will be found worthy to escape all that is that is going to pass, all that is going to happen in this world. I'll post the exact verse in the comment section. But it's really crucial for us, you know. That day is coming very soon and we need to be prepared. Let's yearn to be found by him and let's yearn to receive this testimony from God. I will read um, from Genesis chapter 7. And verse 1, uh, the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Let's yearn to receive such a testimony from God that he will find us worthy to escape all the tribulation that's going to come into this world. Remember that even though it's one person, just as it was with Noah, even though it's just two people, God is able to deliver you. So let's seek this with all our hearts. Let's pursue God right now. Do not postpone, do not wait for tomorrow because we're not sure of tomorrow. He might be coming today. And maybe this is the last call, you know, I don't know, but, you know, we never know how close it is until that day comes. Let's not expect all the visible signs but if we are keen, we will see that all the signs show that he is coming very soon. So thank you so much. I hope I've not confused you. But the goal of this message is remember that Christ is coming very soon. Thank you so much.
God bless you. Hi guys, uh, my name is Washington, and today we're going to do John 16. We're continuing with our series of the Book of John. So, John 16. Um, but before we begin, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. How we pray that you'll help us and cause us to understand your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So, John 16. Um, the main highlight of John 16 is the description of the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ. So, John 16 begins uh, with Jesus Christ speaking of the tribulation that is going to, to be faced by the disciples. He says that they will be put out of the synagogues, they will be killed, they will be beaten, and the people will think that by killing them they are offering service to God. Um, this, then Jesus Christ tells them that he says these things to them that they shall not be made to stumble. This was preparing them for what was coming to happen because it was inevitable. Um, I think we once mentioned that being a follower of Christ means that you are an enemy of the world and the world cannot love you. And this is what the disciples were facing in first hand. That being followers of Christ, they had to face these tribulations. You know, these things were coming because they did not belong to the world. Then Jesus Christ talks of the Holy Spirit. He says he will send the Holy Spirit and it is to our advantage that he goes because when he goes, he will send the Holy Spirit. And in sending the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who he calls the Helper, will have three purposes. He first of all mentions three. He says he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. He says he will convict of sin because they do not believe in him. <coughs> He says he will convict of righteousness because he goes to the Father and they will see him no more. He also says he will convict of judgment because the rule of this world is judged. Father, he says, I still have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. Um, I personally learned a lot from this concerning the Holy Spirit that there is a lot of truth that the Holy Spirit will and can lead us into. That is only if we are willing to yield and to obey to the Word of God. If you're only willing to yield to the Holy Spirit, He will lead us into several and very, very many truths. Again, it's I, I assume it's common knowledge that there is no way you can study and understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you'll just be interpreting the Bible and reading it as a scholar. The only way to experience the, the living word, to read the word of God, the Bible as the word of God, is through the Holy Spirit. Because it, it's, in, because it's the Holy Spirit who wrote the whole Bible. He inspired men to write the, book, the Bible from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. So it's very important for us to have this helper. And I think we did this in John 14. Yeah, that the help, the Holy Spirit is free to all. You know, we have to only all we need to do is to obey the words of Christ and to love Him. And He said that those who obey, those who love Me, I will send the Holy Spirit of Truth. Um, Father Jesus Christ talks to the disciples concerning Him going to the Father. He says, when He goes, uh, He uses this statement that He used with the Jews uh, some time back. He says, a little while and you will not see Me, and again a little while and you will see Me, because I go to the Father. He is introducing this to the disciples that he is going to die very soon and they will not see him and they will be sad, they will be sorrowful. 
but in a little while they will see him again then he talks he compares this to the to child labor no not child labor the labor that a mother goes through when she is about to give birth to a child sorry yeah so when a woman is undergoing labor she feels so much pain but after she has given birth the joy that she has when she sees her child overshadows the pain that she was feeling initially so this is what he is saying will happen to the disciples that yes they will be sad yes they will feel alone when Jesus Christ dies but he will come back to them and when they see Jesus Christ when he comes back to them they will be so joyful that they will forget all the pain and that joy he says no one will be able to snatch away from them he also tells them that in that time they will ask anything in his name and it shall be given unto them um this teaches us i, I learned this personally that you know the joy that comes from Christ is joy that no one can take away from us on the contrary we in this world uh, we often look to entertainment and to the things of this world to give us fake joy i'll put that joy in quotes um i was listening to a certain uh, someone a certain man of god and he was saying that entertainment is the devil's alternative for joy you know this joy that we get from the things of this world is very temporal and it cannot satisfy us at any point and we always need to continue to feed ourselves with this joy feed ourselves with the things of this world so that we can keep ourselves entertained and say and and become joyful while in real sense we simply initiating our body to generate dopamine um while the joy that comes from Christ is joy that is that no one can take away from us it's exceeding i don't know how to even put it in words but it's so 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 peaceful and so yeah and so joyous of course joy is joyous but yeah when jesus christ says um in the world uh there will be he talks about the time just before he is going to be crucified just as he will be crucified he says that they will all leave him but he is not alone because the father is with him again he says that he has spoken to them this word so that they may have peace because in the world they will face tribulation but they should be of good cheer because he has overcome the world again i learned from this that uh, as we are told in the book of philippians chapter 3 verse 20 that we are our citizenship is not of this world our citizenship is of heaven and uh, yes of course we're living in the world currently and one thing we should know is that in this world we will face tribulation and as we mentioned yesterday that this world cannot love something that is not its own the world will only love that which is its own in this world will be faced with tribulation but again let's be of good cheer even in the midst of tribulation let's be of good cheer let's be of good courage let's wait upon god and let's bear in mind that jesus christ has overcome the world and that's the last statement i will use to conclude this chapter and i hope that this word will resound in your heart always that jesus christ has overcome the world in the world will have tribulation but be of good cheer because jesus christ has overcome the world thank you so much and may god bless you i was recently studying the book of revelations revelations 2 and 3 where jesus christ gave a message to john to give to the seven churches and one thing stood out for me in all these seven letters um jesus christ began by saying that he knows the works of each of those churches to every church that had 
anything positive Jesus Christ began by saying I know you works I know you have patience I know you've kept my word I know you have little strength I know you stay where the seat of Satan is and to each of these churches he was beginning by saying that he knows their works and this made me think about myself you know Jesus Christ knows everything about me he knows all about my works and assuming today I'd stand before him the first thing he would begin by saying is I know your works I know you did this you did this and as he did in each of these letters he went further and assuming and in the event where there was a fault he said I know your works but you have this that you need to correct and if you do not correct this you will have to undergo and you will have to face judgment now this served as a warning for me that you know Christ knows all my works and he expects total obedience total commitment and he cannot tolerate sin um you should know and we all know that without holiness none of us can see god and this emphasizes the fact that jesus christ tolerates zero sin so now um this i think this can apply to all of us that you know jesus christ knows your works he knows my works he knows all our works he knows everything about you there is this particular letter where he wrote to a church and said i know your works that you have a reputation of being alive yet you are dead you know jesus christ knows even the deepest secrets of our hearts and on that day when we will stand before him he will remind us he will tell us he knows all we have been through he knows what we had he knows that deep sin that we are hiding and he expects us to work on them jesus christ is going to come anytime soon and no one knows the day and it's not uh, it's not an, the, the day that he comes is not hidden so that he can catch us unexpectedly however it's hidden and we do not know it so that we might be prepared we might stay prepared all along and stay waiting for him so i just like to urge all of us you know in whatever situation you are in whatever state you are in just know that Christ is saying this to you from revelations 2:3 that he knows your works he knows where you are he knows everything and you ought to be prepared for his coming you ought to be ready if there is any sin you ought to work on it if you're okay if you don't have sin i don't know if if there is nothing that you're hiding in your heart Christ calls you to endure he calls you to persevere he says to this church he says i know you've done great and he commended the church for all they've done and he told them that they are going to undergo temptation and persecution and what he did is he urged them to hold fast to what they have now i'll also urge you you know hold fast to what you have because Christ is coming very soon and it is not the desire of Christ that any of us would die he wants us to be with him He did not create us to go to eternal damnation on the on the other hand he created us so that we might be with him so we ought to prepare ourselves we ought to be ready we ought to stay prepared for him because he is coming very soon so I'll end with this statement that Jesus Christ knows your works he knows you in and out and you need to stay prepared thank you so much my name is Washington and I hope you've been blessed hi um my name is washington and today we're going to do john 
We are continuing with our series of the book of John. So before we begin, let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for this day. And we pray that you will be with us as we study and that you will reveal your word to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. <music> 